0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MSP Initiative Live. Just catching up on uh, a bunch of stuff, right? Now that we've been off the road for a week or two, and uh, man, the uh, the news and current events surely don't uh, don't take off, right? Even though that we're uh, we're traveling. So, uh, Keith, I see you popped in. Keith, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna promote you to a panelist. We're going to let you jump in today and uh, give us some commentary. How you doing today, my friend? See that? Caught him off guard. <laughs> so today we're going to kind of recap what's been happening. There he is. Pretty fly for a Wi-Fi. There it is. By the way... Um, you're in my, uh, you're, you're in my soon to be thank you list, but I got to meet for everybody out there that watches this. And I know we, we have a little bit of a following. I got to meet Keith in person in, uh, in, L- in orange County, which, uh, was great weather. Um, no complaints there. Um, we call Keith just right at the tail end. Cause he apparently yeah. was, was having some problems over there at the, uh, the LA ports. And, uh, I, at least I can say I'm not the only one that gets stopped by, some sort of government security body, I guess, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm getting stopped way more often than Keith. But hey, you know, I take where I can get it.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing time with with the backlog at the ports, um, and 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 actually, they're looking at it going on for at least another year.
0: I, I mean, let's talk about that for a second, Keith, because like we're hearing this from everywhere. Um, like, why is it like, I mean, obviously the one part you, you know, you shared, which was, you know, just COVID policies and protocols and what have you, but like, we're hearing like, not just 10, 15, 20 ships, we're hearing hundreds of ships being backed up and everybody's just confused. Why, why is this happening?
1: Well, I think if you look at, if you understand the logistics of the supply chain and go backwards. So if distributions underemployed. and and we're talking retail distribution and, di- and stores. Um, then it backlogs to the distribution centers, to the warehouses, to the intermodal, to the trucks, and so on. Now California is an interesting state. Um, we like taxes and fees. And so you make regulations that say, okay, we're going to do this clean air initiative. So we're not going to let trucks older than a certain age. And the truck driver said, we'll just stop driving to California. Um, And then you, so what actually occurs, which is an interesting study, which happens a lot when government gets to legislate smarter than their capabilities. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So they cause longer lines at the pickups and longer idle times. And the estimate is they've backlogged commerce and they've increased pollution. So, um, and then you start running into um, impractical protocols and, um, you know. I mean,
0: Keith, it almost sounds, I mean, you're in it, right? I mean, cause of your, you know your, your customers and you being kind of in the consulting realm, right? Helping these people with technology at the ports in LA. But like, uh-huh. it kind of feels like they're intentionally backing up the ability for these goods to come into the country, for some reason, because they're just making it intentionally difficult to do it. And, you know, you stack that on top of the still the ongoing chip thing, right? The just the fact that there's a, you know, a shortage of computer CPU chips for a lot of things, cars and everything else. I think somebody posted on a forum the other day that Dell is literally out of computers. (laughs) It's like a five month backup. And And then you add on top that you're hearing now in China, Um, they're literally in the middle of the beginning or they're literally in the beginning of what their own version of a 2008 financial collapse of some sort where they're literally rationing power and what, you know, manufacturing warehouses are only rock running two, three, four days a week, not seven days. And, you know, they're in a problem where like companies that have all this debt are literally, you know, going you know, bankrupt basically. Right. You know, with trillions of dollars of debt. So like you couple all of that together (laughs) and, Unless somebody's going to start manufacturing goods domestically really fast, you could literally be seeing backlogs going into the middle of 2022.
1: I would say further, you know, you look at the and I'm going to be a real smart ass, not that I've ever been before. If you've ever done advocacy, which is what I do besides work, uh, you know, I do a lot of advocacy. I I meet with politicians often like multiple times a month. Not on tech. um, I was. Mostly for special needs, disabled, aged out youth under. Privilege.
0: You were saying that, yeah. So,
1: as you do that and you walk away meeting these people, you no longer believe in conspiracy because you're amazed that they were smart enough to wake up and tie their shoes. Hmm. They're, literally, they're literally not the cream of the crop. Someone asked me the other day, and I and I answered. You know, they said seriously. Out of all that, I had just got returned from a legislative trip and, and then conducted an ethics panel review. And I said, you know, on this particular city council, there isn't one person I'd hire as an entry-level position.
0: Wow. That's um, a statement.
1: So I think that they're motivated by many things. Uh, one of them is power. And, and i'm not and having an ego and being arrogant i i don't say that in a negative content so let me just clarify they have a lust for power they have a lust for acknowledgement and they have to pander for votes and yeah. so they just happen to listen to whoever is the most vocal which is not the majority uh, i dabble in, in on the fringe of politics, I'm an oversight and ethics panel review. And I look at it and I say, one thing I find that's prevalent is it's not the majority that speaks. So the majority, I look at it and I'm a simpleton, I'm not a smart guy like you. The majority of is the guy gets up, goes to work, pays bills, cooks dinner, has no idea really what a city council's doing until it's too late, really doesn't understand What's the economic difference between, let's say, a Trump administration and a Biden administration? Yeah. People are people are going to argue back and forth who you prefer. And that's not the point of that. But they just don't understand the difference in the in the policy, in the economic policy, until it's too late, until he goes out to his car and says, six dollars a gallon.
0: Which which, by the way, as I started on my way from Phoenix to, to San Diego. And it started going up through California. It just got more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. And I finally got to that $5.09 a gallon for regular uh, on my way out of California. I, I just couldn't. Oh, we joked about it. We're like, oh, there'll, there'll be a $5 soon enough. Just wait. And it actually happened on, on our travels. And then I guess, you know. You know no, so. It's a up,
1: it's part up with the oil spill. And, and immediately they come up and say, uh, uh, our Senator proposed legislation to completely ban offshore drilling. So now we're not gonna drill offshore, which by the way, I'm not a huge, I think, but we're, we closed the pipeline. We're closing onshore drilling.
0: And don't forget and there was a cyber attack on the pipeline that was running.
1: Yeah, and so um, so immediately gas jumped 35 cents in one day. Wow. Because it's a commodity and that's a speculative market. Now, will all those things occur? I don't know, but that's how the market reacts. Yeah. So, uh, and you look at gas and you say, you bring up a that's that's horribly regressive. So, um, how do I say this nicely? I own a business. I can charge my gas to the business, and that gets passed on in charges to my customer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So ultimately the guy who can maybe afford to pay a little more in gas isn't effective yeah by the way if gas gets really bad i'll trade in my junker and buy a tesla
0: right okay (laughs) hold on hold on hold on hold on and again i feel like we've gone down a slightly political path but uh, again that's just you know because this whole backup of of ship stocking and you know when when they said hey start buying your christmas presents in august i kind of laughed and i'm like i guess they weren't joking um so there's this proposed legislation that's still in the way hanging out there, right? We don't, if it goes through it or not, we'll find out where they want to charge you per mile driven, right? Like on your federal tax return, meaning like, you know, at the beginning of the year, let's say you, yeah, to the end of the year, let's say you drove 10,000 miles. Okay. I guess mm-hmm. the average is eight to 12 or whatever. Right. And so the, the going, conversation is, hey, they want to charge you in addition to the, the, forget what the state collects, forget what's baked into the gallon of gas already in taxes, right? Like there's a, like, if you actually go state by state, they tell you, hey, for every gallon of gas, like more than 50% of what you're paying is actually taxes. Okay. So put that off to the side, that all still going to remain. But yeah. for per mile driven on your tax return where, hey, you said you write off your mileage for your you know work purposes, like a lot of other people do, you know, you keep your log, whatever. They want to charge you now for that mile six cents a mile.
1: Well, everybody. you look at you look at that and you say that's a, that's also regressive. Again, it's the same theory. So who's going to pay for it?
0: It's when Every, everybody, that's not just businesses. That's like George the person, right? The individual uh, that just wants to go down the look, street and buy a sandwich, right?
1: As you compress it down, you go, you're attacking the poor and the middle class. So mm-hmm. when you're told to chant tax the rich, catch that guy over there, you're going. Let's follow the history of taxes from the war tax on forward to the AMT and so on. Tax the rich means tax the middle class. So I tell people, if you agree with the value of the tax, then just say tax everybody because you're willing to pay your part. But it is horribly aggressive. Uh, So, uh, you know, the guys that can afford it can go buy a a more efficient car, can charge it to their business. The guy who's just barely getting by with his 15-year-old gas guzzler who who's who, who can't afford the one hundred seventy five dollar a month increase in groceries, which is the estimate in California? That's who it hurts, and yeah. that's and and you're and I'm, that's horrible.
0: I'm, I wonder if this, and again, we'll we'll jump onto another topic in a second. But I wonder if the let's say it is six cents per mile, and I guess at the end of the year that's another so ten thousand miles, six cents. It's like six hundred bucks, right? it's still 600 bucks that you would have otherwise not paid or even gotten money back. Right. Now you're paying. Um, I wonder if that turns off the electric, you know, push, right. Cause the whole idea for the electric side is cost savings, right. Theoretically, right. You should pay less in power than you would in fuel. But if they're still going to end up taxing you on top of your electric, a uh, fuel efficient car, then what's the other than you have to get around. What, what, why the push? Well, well how's or- that going to help?
1: There's two theories um, behind the electric vehicles. One of them is greenhouse admi- emissions. Yeah. Now there's a debate of, of, by the time you produce the energy and and until you re- they use the European studies and say, look at how they cut greenhouse emissions, but Europe mm-hmm. still uses nuclear energy. That's right. The United States is saying, no, we don't want, so we're mostly called coal, fire and oil burning. Mm-hmm. So you're going like, what is the net effect? Not the same as the studies you used to. So that's that's a different topic. But again, my concern, my biggest concern is, you start having saying we're going to monitor your bank account for transactions over six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Which I just did a just a quick on my uh, QuickBook Quicken. That's about seventy percent of my transactions.
0: Oh yeah, I mean for for anybody in our space like. If somebody comes to you and you can get them, right? And they said I need 25 laptops. That's, that's a pretty big purchase. Like $600 yeah. like this you know, is on my this, this is on my
1: personal account. So I'm talking yeah, about, no.
0: how often is IRS going to be
1: in my personal? And then you say, how do I charge you per mile unless I start tracking where you go? And yeah. I think you're you're opening some concerning areas and I tell people without getting political, you go, you're, you may be this party that says this is okay now. Now think of it in the context when the party you hate is in office. So just remember yeah. that. What's okay now has to be okay then. And that's that's concerning. And by the way, I don't trust either party, so you've been, but back to the port. Yeah. So you have this continual backlog. Yes. Um, we offered to help streamline third uh, Third Shift um, and there's a there's a problem between labor and management. Um, not to take sides, so labor comes in and says, "We'll do this extra, but this is the premium of the buffer." Management worries about once we put this all in, can you put the genie back in the bottle? So we now having, So now you're having a full third shift. Everyone's getting overtime, and remember, um, if you studied key management and spending. Once you start paying your employees overtime, it becomes their salary. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and and remember, we have to think in the context of the working man. And and that's, you know, an important part of our economy. His check all of a sudden bumps from, you know, 800 a a week to a thousand and does that for six months, eight months. He's budgeting off that thousand a week. Yeah. So now you go to take that back. And you're going well. I'm expecting a raise, and you're reducing my salary. And 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 it's not you know you go well. I raised your hourly. You go that's it's how much I take home and put in the bank so we can yeah. buy groceries, pay rent. So there's that argument going on, and then there's just a, a shortage of of working. And there's high you know high compression yeah. at, at the bottom end. Yeah. And and um, you know my son who's special needs and uh, works at Amazon, and he's hmm. getting raises every few months, you know, I, people bash Amazon. I like it because they'll take the higher special needs. He's making well over, they used to put him on sub-minimum wage. They pay these mm. people like, he's making well over minimum wage, gets full benefits and um, gets overtime every other mm. week. That's so, awesome. yeah, so it's, um, but there's still, you know, I, you see people walk around and go, there's signs, he's been there for a year. I like to brag on him because he got laid off at of the convention center during COVID. In two days, he had a new job. So don't, when people say there's nothing, I go, no, no. You know, he did.
0: If you want, I've always said, if you want a job, you, there's jobs. Like yeah. it all depends on what you're willing or not willing to do. And at the end of the day, like coming back to just IT land for a second. I mean, there's surely a lack of, people to fill the normal positions. And then there's all of these cybersecurity positions that have been since been created because of all of the companies that have popped up to help solve that problem uh, from various angles. And they can't even get enough people just like, you know, like they're going to the point now we're like, Hey, we'll just train you. Right. Like we can't find qualified people. We'll take anyone and try and train you up. And you know that that's a long haul. Um, but yeah, no, that's very, yeah, no, that's, sure. a, that's a a pro-
1: The other thing I advocate, I'm on the, I don't know if you can do it, LCAPs and CELPAs, and I do the cybersecurity um, uh, curriculum for the universities of California, the community college district, Caltech. So um, we look at that. And one of the big arguments I keep arguing with is, is this problem with academia. Number one, kids could graduate from high school. With computer certifications. Yes. Easy. In fact, when, when my kids were in junior high, I put a network in with Infotech and Microsoft at the junior high. The district wouldn't allow them to take the MCSE or the CCIE classes. Mm. So you're going, well, you know, the, the end of the world, and this is, sounds horrible for a guy with degrees, the end of the world is not degrees. I agree. The end of the world is knowledge to perform a, a job or task you want. And, and that's bizarre. so we have to look back at academia, which has become politicized and say, quit talking about just going to college. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when you talk about free education, look at those models. When you look at the Slavic countries, it's not it's free. It's subsidized. There's nothing free subsidized yeah. education in what we tested you as your proficiency and started prepping you in high school for So I did a presentation at at Cal State San Bernardino with a a then state senator who later rose to higher office and she was advocating free education. So I said to the group, I said, um, how many of you have changed your degree? And over half of them raised your hand. And I said, your E-ticket's over, goodbye. And they go, what? And I go, you didn't study the whole part of, of those models. You get freedom of choice, you give something up. Well, and, and I think it's the fact it's the it's that we don't present really good guidance. You know, you sit there and say, let's introduce them to careers and let's put them on the career path earlier. The next thing is we have this compression in college. I don't know if you have kids in college, no. so they're de- in the I final am. two years. There's classes that aren't available, so school's too expensive. It's not student loans; it's how much you finance. If you want to know the problem. academia is too expensive and then they start saying well you're a junior and you need these classes next year to graduate and get your degree but these aren't available so you give up being a student so you take these that are meaningless towards your degree because you don't want to lose your student loans in the whole process you're going so they need to have better allocation of resources and stop teaching social and teach technical and teach um appropriate business skills yeah. and so i think that's a, that's an important part the part about um interning and training from someone that has no background is that's high cost for an employer and i think that's just something we have to be concerned about you know a guy jumps in i've had people call can i i want to work for your company i want to do cyber security and we start them on the basics. stuff they go oh that's not what i want i want to be the guy at the top and so that makes, uh, that's a, just a costly venture. Not that it's not valuable, but you have to price that in.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, um, my wife works in higher education. She has since she graduated. She actually worked for the college she graduated from, which is a great university. Uh, so we are at totally different ends of the spectrum, uh, but we, we some, sometimes go back and forth in this. Uh, I try and limit it because, you know, you end up losing at some point, uh, you know, in this conversation, or at least where I sit. But yeah, I mean, technology is something that doesn't require a degree. I never thought that it did. And, um, you know, I, you know, and the way that they do teach technology in university is not hands on. It's more textbook. And I feel that that grossly. Puts people at a disadvantage for when they come out, right? Because if you took a, somebody who went to a hopefully a four-year program and actually graduated in the four years, because now four years is really five years. But let's say they graduated in the four years. Had somebody actually run that four years and real real-world knowledge, I believe this person is ahead of this person in actual skills. And I don't know if this person ever catches up. I think that if that person keeps the pedal down, they'll always be ahead. Now, of course, that that doesn't necessarily happen, right? There is a plateau, but. I feel like the practical knowledge always, always trumps the, the the textbook knowledge, and I just don't understand at the price point um, that these programs are costing. Obviously, you know, different in your state if they're not paying anything at all, but let's say they are. Um, why aren't they switching to a more hands-on approach where they are learning the practical skills that come along with what they're trying to teach? And I just don't see it. I see the opposite, I see they're still following the old school blueprint, and I don't know why.
1: Um, for a lot of, first of all, there's, there's a social aspect. And then again, we, I know it's your show, we don't want to get too too political, yeah. but there's a social aspect. You look at the legislation that passed in California, I just had one assemblyman said, um, I'll, I'll, and this is how it's done, it's Monty Hall, I'll back what you're proposing on special needs legislation. Will you stand up for ethnic studies? And I said, no. He said, what? And I, and I, I said, first of all, I'm not going to put more on the plate of teachers who are failing at their core competency. And if you look at California, we dropped from top 10 to number two to the bottom Wow! in 20 years in education. And you said, let's do what we need to do. And mm-hmm. let's let's focus on our core competency and not. And then um, let's look at direction and more technical. We we took all the all the um, shop classes out of California schools. That like there's mean. something like there's something wrong with being a machinist. My my brother that I uh, helped raise was is a uh, that's regardless of education. He has no college degree and he's wildly successful. Owns an aerospace company because he spent time in shops. That's what's his fortune. And you know what? Had it not been for shop he would not have stayed in school there was nothing else that interested him at yeah,
0: all and listen like my fa my father was uh you know in a carpenter's union he was a cabinet maker uh so he worked you know he's you know, you know worked with wood and and you know built stuff all the time which i thought was cool but it was a tough job you're on your feet all day long and you know some people are built for that versus sitting behind computer screens like we do but um it, it is it's an art almost right and i think it's Less and less people learning those skills. Um, <laughs> we joke all the time, right? Soon the plumber is going to be a very well paid guy. I bet you he is already because yeah. so many people, like there's just not enough of them for for the work that needs to be done, kind of thing.
1: Let's flip but for all, a second. By the way, I just want to make one more comment on degrees yeah. and technology, which yeah. I think are overrated. I was just in a group where they're talking about this, all this proposed legislation going on.
0: Okay and I, and I think
1: this is a great thing for MSPs and some will be insulted when I say this. We do some forensic audits um, and now we're getting to ask to do these before there's an incident. About over 85% of the networks we audited, mm-hmm. I'd say the techniques used should have limited the guy to a cell phone tech. They're doing so basic things are wrong. I mean, I saw, and I talked to this in another group that specialized in security, and their auditor said the same thing. Firewalls with no one even logging in to check syslog. They've been under attack for months and no. So anyway, with that said, with the legisl- and we don't want it to go to legislation. So I was just at them uh, up in Sacramento discussing this. We're competing against companies with big money that want our space. Yeah. They're selling legislation is what is an MSP? Oh, a term we made up. What's an MSSP? These are all marketing terms. So they're That's going. True. So the, so not that there's value, but in their eyes, they're saying, "Well, we need to make sure people have degrees, or they get licensed and certified through the state, like a state contractor's license or a DRE." Mm-hmm. That ends the ability for you and I, uh, who uh, to hang a shingle and start a business. So I, I just say this, fellow MSPs, watch the implied or the material representations you're, you're making. In the last one I was asked a professional witness on, um, the contract was good. The website said, uh, let us manage your security and don't worry. In California, there's laws, and there may be in other states called unscrupulous advantage. and We've talked about that before, where it's not, you're supposed to be the expert. I'm done. So when you tell me I put in my fairy dust on your network and you're secure, I go, okay. So you sell me good, better, best. And I walk over there. I'll just take good. Cause it's cheaper.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let, let me, let me, let me backtrack for a second. Okay. So on this topic, Yeah. Uh, and again, we've had Brad Gross on, and I'm, I plan to have him on again soon because you just, always a wealth of knowledge coming from a, a yeah. legal person that understands technology. And by the way, there's not a lot of people that do both well. Okay. So that being said, like, yeah, the marketing, like Brad always say, don't, you know, don't say something you know, like you are there to assist them to try and accomplish a goal. But when you're presenting security as, as a solution or the package of things that are security as a solution to your, your end customer, the, the, the presentation should be, hey, these are some of the standard practices that are now becoming you know commonplace right to help layer security in, but there's no guarantee. All we're doing is trying to reduce your risk, but you still need a safety net at the bottom. So I, I was talking to a medical, based end customer, uh, you know, for, for, for managed services. And the, um, one of the owners said, do, do I even need this? And I'm like, well, do you lock your door at your house? Like what, like, what is the minimum to feel safe in your house? This is the same question from the technology standpoint. So I was like, I don't care if you're a hot dog cart at Yankee stadium or you're in the, you're, you're delivering medical services. Yes, you do need this. I was like, but I'm going to go a step further. There's no perfect answer. The government gets hacked all the time and they have technically yeah, print money. Right. Um, you, I was like, you should have, you need to also have adequate coverage, right. Insurance mm-hmm. coverage, right. Cybersecurity coverage. And he's like, well, how do I know how much coverage I should need? And I'm like, that's a great, that's a, actually a very good question. I was like, there is a way to, you know, calculate what your data's value is worth based on how many records and what industry you're in. Like there's actually, you know, an actuarial table somewhere to help, you know calculate this, right? I was like, having too little coverage ends up hurting you. having no coverage absolutely will hurt you because you know, all you're doing is you have no safety net, right? You're driving without insurance coverage. And so he's like, well, who do I talk to? Like, how do I determine how do I need a half million? Do I need a million? Do I need 5 million? I'm like, well, the, que- the first question is, do you even have any coverage? I was like, because if you don't, then we have to fix that first. And a lot of the times, depending on how much coverage you have and what insurance agency you go with, they're going to dictate part of what you need to do. Not everything, not everything, right? Brad always says, mm-hmm. what is the standard of care in our industry? Is it defined? Uh-huh. Like it, that really isn't defined. Like Keith, your 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 position on security may be completely different than the next guy. But to your point, there is no there is no body that says this is the minimum, right? Is it CMMC three? Is it ISO whatever? Is it HIPAA for this guy because he's in medical? Like there like there is no quote unquote standard of care, but that terminology really rung true to this guy because he was in medical and standard of care is very mm-hmm. clear what that means. So I was just like, "Hey, man, listen. Um, you're, you've asked the question. What are what you know? What should you know? Organizations my size have." And I said, "I don't like you being in medical versus not. Doesn't really make a difference from where I stand. I think everybody needs to have this checked and covered because three three things are going to happen. Right? One, you're going to have a security event, and one way or another, there's you're going to have to notify people because there's a security event, and you're going to have to remediate it." Two, you're gonna have business downtime, right? Mm-hmm. Are you being, do you have insurance for the amount of time that you're losing running your operation while you're trying to deal with the issue? I was like in three, if you run into either liability, right? Because if this data, ha- you know, if this data is private data like PHI, right? And somebody's saying, Hey, you you are responsible to protect my data. His argument, by the way, was, well, I'm required to hold this data for seven years, whether you want me to hold it or not. Like that's, you know, that was this, you know, like he has to hold medical records for seven years in his state. And I'm like, well, then you got to protect those records for seven years too. Right? Like, it's, mean, but
1: you're on the right, you're, you're definitely on the, on the right track. Uh, when Brad's on, and, and there was another guy who's on a, the MSP security call that Andrew puts on one of his panelists, yeah. who's, who's who when we were discussing this said it exactly mirrored what he was going through. Let me explain to you how this court case worked and and everyone can make their own conclusions. The the person attacking the MSP was the client's insurance company's lawyer. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, in my Reader's Digest vision, and I'm, I'm not Perry Mason, I saw it as an attempt of the insurance company to defer their exposure to this MSP just the same thing in car accident you hit me but the guy behind you hit you and you know we're going forward so anyway the first question was what makes you qualified to have um, presented yourself as a technology expert what are your degrees, certifications, so on so he went down this path that is concerning and the guy had none he had nothing he could formally say he said um, there's some firewall company that gave him a certification and the attorney said how much of that was dedicated to sales and how much that was technical. Now, I love vendors. You know, I'm very supportive of vendors. you see my comments. Vendors' job, part of their job is to teach us how to sell their stuff. So the other part is how to keep it running and so on and how to present it and how to position it. So in every certification that I've ever taken, there is a percentage of sales. So that's, Remember, you're you're now in a room without technical people. You're with the judge and attorneys who have formal degrees, mm-hmm. who have a formal process to say, I didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm now a lawyer. I went through a process. So understand the mentality there. So that was the first thing. next thing was pulling out his website and his and 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 the, the, the term the attorney used was because of the MSP's attorney was saying this is in the contract writer that Brad always talks about, and he said your websites in thirty point font. This was in six point font. That resonate. I saw the judge going like this. So basically, who puts seemed, anything
0: in six point font? By the way, it's like twelve. Oh, that was, that was, Can you sorry, even read like twelve point twelve point <laughs> font, is yeah. font But go ahead, yeah.
1: But yeah, then no, that was you know. So you're looking at this and you're saying. Um what the how the case went was the material representations or misrepresentations made prior to the sale overrode the contract contract. That'd be a very interesting question but for you, Brad. But,
0: you, but usually, like if you have a lawyer worth your weight like a Brad, for example, he'll put, anything that was discussed before this agreement was signed is moot. If it's not in this agreement, it doesn't count moving forward. Usually some language to that effect, should be in your agreement, right?
1: I could say from seeing the contract that was in, because they handed it to me. I don't want to name it. Was it was downloaded from a template? Uh,
0: yeah, a
1: template from yeah. one of the big MSP, uh, peer Group, whatever you call us. Yeah. You know, the, just
0: call it. Just call it. Could be Legal Zoom for all I care, right? I mean, yeah, it's just, but, but
1: this this was just something downloaded. And what was so bad about it was, you know where the underlines are left to fill it in?
0: He left it blank?
1: He left it. No, he didn't. Like, it was obvious it was fill in the blank. And so, you know, you make a contract look better. You take out the underline and put in the name. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He Uh, left all of the lines in.
1: Yeah, so he left all the lines in. So it was obvious that this was a fill in the blank. Yeah. So, and that's why I said this would be a great question for Brad, where he may say, Templates will get you into this problem, but my writer and then he, I'd like to hear him because I'm not an attorney, say specifically my writer addresses this here. And I think that'd be very educational for the community.
0: Oh, oh yeah, I'll, def- I'll definitely. Yeah, He number one, Brad's like, you, you know, form contracts never going to work. It has to be customized for everybody because your local situations may be different and you can't just take a contract and hope that it's going to cover everybody's you know broadly enough. He says that all the time. Number two, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, it's a shame, right? Like whoever puts out those, you know, templates to review, I'm sure there's some, Hey, you should contact an attorney to review this and make sure it works for you. Right. I would hope that disclaimer is put out there, but, but you and I Keith know that this happens all the time. Hey, can you send me a copy of what you're using? And they just. Yeah. Active. And I think
1: that, I like to be more realistic. The average guy starting out and I, and I follow these boards, you know, I'm a one-man shot. You know? and that's great. I, I, I encourage that. I, I you know, let's do that. And, um, however, can that guy afford maturity at that point in his life? So I almost you know you wonder, you say, um, I don't know the answer to that. I'll give you the next example. We can move on. So I'm sitting with the state legislator who's, who's a majority leader, and we're talking about this issue and it's someone I know very well I was on our campaign committee. And she sees a flyer that I'd printed up about an upcoming event, an MSP event. And she starts going through the list of speakers, and under it says cloud expert, security expert, 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 expert. And she says, these are the people that are going to train people that, and she's very consumer oriented, you know, she's that are going to protect the local small businesses. And she says, how many of these do you know? And out of the panel of 12, I know five or six of them. She, let me ask you a question off the record. Would you hire any of them? No. Do any of them have any training? What made them an expert?" And I said, "I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, it's just like one day someone just said, "Hey, Keith's an expert in talking on Zoom.
0: Well, they say, you, say that do, it, They say, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, you're an expert." Right, and 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 I'm not questioning each person's.
1: I'm saying understand the environment. You're talking yeah. to non-technical people who don't understand what we do. We've yeah. kept it in this black box. They are legislatures, legislators, which are eighty percent attorneys, right? Isn't yeah. that, as and That's so true. they're saying they're saying in order to hang a shingle, there's a path.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, I, mean,
1: I I have someone advertising there's someone advertising that she asked about that called him doctor use the term doctor technology yeah.
0: doctor or something like that that's and that's she, a bad idea for sure I, I mean listen I, I got on a little bit of a rant I don't know yeah. three weeks ago I, I wrote a <laughs> hey w- w- don't get on stage at some event and call yourself an expert when you have no background in whatever the hell you're trying to tell people to, you know, talk about, to do. I was like, why don't you either get some real world experience or go and actually even do some damn research before you get in front of a group of people and say, let me show you, let me talk to you a little bit about what I think you should or shouldn't do. But I mean, Keith, you know, of course, a couple of comments came back saying, Hey, a lot of people fake it till they make it. And that's just how it goes. And I'm like, yeah, listen, like fake it till you make it. If you're like slowly, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. So you figure out what works for you and what doesn't. But when you're being put out there by, you know, somebody holding an event (laughs) as somebody who's an expert or somebody who should be considered knowledgeable about the topic, I feel like it's a little bit fraudulent when the person who's talking literally has absolutely no room to say a single word about what they're saying. And you know, I guess it's just the nature of the beast. I feel like our sandbox is a little bit smaller, so they need to be, I think, mindful that you know it's a small world and it's not hard to Google people and figure out what their deal is. But back to your point of, uh, and I was listening to a quick eleven-minute video this morning from uh, an insurance guy. Most insurance companies will settle the will settle the case, right? Very, very, very few like to actually go to litigation because it's long and it's expensive and a lot of the times, to your point, the judge may never even use a computer in, in the course of the, them doing their job. Right. Uh, and and you have you never know the people who show up on a jury. Uh, I once heard a judge say, uh, I hate technology. Um, I don't like it. I don't want to like it. And you can let the next guy figure it out. And he that's how he ended the case. And I was like, what? I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. How do you, how is that your final statement? Like you're just opening the door to absolutely go, you know, appeal the decision and go to the next level, but. Look it's expensive. At the things,
1: you know, I, 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 by the way, I did comment on that thread you were referring to and, and that's very, you know, if you're faking it till you make it, talk about what you did well. So being a, what I call a broker, of services, and you're a great salesman, you're great at marketing, there's nothing wrong with that. That you're hiring sub companies, and you're maybe, you know, and you have a great team behind you that you've vetted very well, and you have great relationships. Stand on stage and talk about that business model and how it made you very successful. Do not say, I'm a security expert. And there's nothing wrong with the first. You're going like, there's many people that do that and just say what you're doing. Uh, and, 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 that's, and that's a very good model. And um, that was kind of what I got out of this case is there'd have been nothing wrong if this guy had brought the right people to the table, mm-hmm. but he didn't, he, he oversold himself. And so um, and that's how the, the court leaned. And this poor MSP that was only in business for four years is probably uninsurable now in California and unemployable. That I means business is
0: over. Uh, for a breach, that wasn't really his fault. That's a shame because the breaches are going to have Like at this point, and I had Ryan Burton on from PAX 8 a few months back, and he's like, You can get, like, if he he said, if you were to ask me a percentage, right? And knowing that 100% secure is a dream and never is real, right? But let's just call it 85% risk reduction, okay? You could accomplish that for not, you know, like less than a hundred dollars a user a month, right? I mean, if you brought the right vendors together, right? SOC, mm-hmm. XDR, yeah. MDR, like you start stacking all this and you and you put it together properly and you package it, you could. Protect you, you know, you know with today's technology at the small business level, you could reduce your risk by 80 to 85%. Let's just say for $100 or less per employee per month, right? Um, and again, that's not 100% and there's no guarantees, but I'm reducing the possibility, right? So it just seems like <laughs> a lot of people, Keith, when they go to have that conversation with their customer and they're like, hey, you're basically charging me double what you're charging me for everything else that you do to talk about this word security and the response has to be but yeah i mean i'm not coming out here just putting my hand out hoping and praying i'm just you ask me what is it going to take to make sure you're not the name in the headline this is the start of that conversation right It there is a cost and some people just you know like i tell you know my recommendation to people and again I'm not putting myself out there as a security expert. But my recommendation to people, if I was sitting in your shoes is at least start mandating some of the beginning pieces of that stack as you increase your prices every year and you start checking these boxes granularly so that by the time you get to, hey, we now need to make a jump in order to cover this last gap, you're halfway there.
1: I will say, um, and and you're right. And, And by the way, that's why I don't like good, better, best. Because I don't like, if, if, if I'm a, you know, technology naive, but I'm a home builder. I'm good at what I do. Let's respect that. And you come in and you say, good, better, my assumption would be, you wouldn't offer good if it doesn't work, I'll just take good. Because I really don't care about SOC and SIM and XD. You know, I don't care. I want to get out. I want to put this behind me and go out and build houses. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two is, to me, the real money, and this is to your MSPs listening, is not in selling commodities or brokering services. It's in selling business processes and value. And if you look at security, you know, I've said this to you before, and I know and I'll, now I'll get more bad tweets and comments on Facebook. We are not heroes. We do not own the network, and we don't have red capes. We are part of a process. And the real money is as we integrate technology and security into workflow and business process. When we recovered the regional center during the terrorist attack, not remember I've ever told you about that in San Bernardino and started cutting checks within 24 hours, 20% was technology and 80% was process, procedures in place, before, before we didn't. It's not like we predicted we were going to have a terrorist attack. We didn't know what it would be, but with the building shut down, with the campus locked down by the FBI, we were able to move off site and begin functioning to help with the disabled community. Wow. That is because I, I, I of mean, process.
0: One hundred percent. Like to echo your story, right? When the whole colonial pipeline thing happened and they shut down, and gas skyrocketed, and people couldn't get fuel on the East Coast, like some of the kind of oil industry, you know, talking heads came out and said they could run that pipeline manually. They can flip those switches and they can keep that fuel rolling manually. And the CEO came out and said, the people who could have done that are no longer here. And the people that are here only know how to do it with the computer. And so, you know, while you could be right, while it could have technically been done manually, we don't have the people who have the extra expertise to do it without the computer on I mean that's unfortunately at
1: at the Port of LA, we replaced a paper system. And that's what it was, you know. And so our fail one of the failovers is that paper system, which everyone's gonna hate because it's automated now. However, as dispatcher cycle, remember in that environment, dispatchers are replaced by election every two years. So Mm -hmm. every couple of years we're gonna train people on a process that was in place, we, we implemented that in 99, so 20 plus years ago. So it's called documentation and process and procedures. And by the way, that is that is a value add that makes you pretty sticky with your customers. Because when you walk out with one of the sheet that says these 10 things, and I walk in with these 10 things, all of a sudden it's like, let's whip out the blue light and see where I get the cheapest price. When you talk about, Tying it into their site specific business process and workflows, that sheet of $100 per workstation or per user or per whatever you do is out the window.
0: Yeah, 100%. There's no question. Real right. quick, I want to flip over into um, a couple of things before we, we get to the end of the show, just current event stuff. So, nope, not plugging me at all here, you know, on, on my B Void Pat, but obviously Void providers are surely under, you know, pretty much target, right? <laughs> Globally, right? Uh, we had two in the UK that's kicked it off. Then you had uh, VoIP.ms in Canada that got hit uh, and were down for weeks. I don't know if they're even back up now, maybe. And then uh, of course, bandwidth.com was the big guy right on the block. Uh, and then, you know, they just seem to be kind of going right down the line. So um, with this DDOS, which it's kind of an old style of attack, but still very viable when you have you know, a hundred a million computers, you know, compromised in a botnet. You know, just sending what could be as simple as a ping request, but from millions of computers simultaneously, you literally cap out the resources um, that are, at, you know, literally the pipes going into the data center, right? Kind of thing. So obviously, this is you know the VoIPs obviously top of mind just because we've just seen it, right? Um, you know, and and obviously bandwidth was one of the, you know, I was talking to a guy last night at nine, uh, my time. And he said, um, okay. So bandwidth has 40% of the VoIP DIDs in the U S and Canada. I said, yup. He's like, well, where's the other 60%. Like if I were to have multiple vendors, who else is part of, I was like, you got a lot like my answer, but like five companies own 90% of the traffic. And like the rest of them fit into the last ten, <laughs> you know, like a thousand companies fit into the last ten, and five companies have the ninety percent. So, unfortunately, <laughs> if you target those five, um, you have very little room, you know, to really go anywhere, uh, kind of thing. So, you know, it was an interesting conversation. And then, of course, you know, a lot of people like, oh, look, uh, this this thing came out from Cloudflare, right? Cloudflare came out and said, hey, you know, this is how we're helping. You know, I think bandwidth obviously had a certain uh, amount of uh, capacity for DDoS protection. And then like, they realized they didn't have enough and like Cloudflare is like covering the gap kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So they came out and planted their flag and said, hey, if you have VoIP and you don't have protection, call us. I mean, but it wasn't even a VoIP specific thing. Like if you had 30, you know, and, and I don't know if this is exact number, I've been told this secondhand, 30 terabytes per second. That was the amount of traffic being hit <laughs> at some of these data centers. And 30 terabits per, or terabits per second is not small. And it's funny because Cloudflare today said that they have like 110 terabits of available network capacity. So think about that. 30, 30, ter- 30 terabits of their 110 was just the bandwidth attack.
1: So it's a-, a couple of things I heard, and you're, you're, you're deep in the void, was number yeah. one was the security was not as high as it maybe should have been or could have been in hindsight. And we're all great Monday morning. I just don't think they
0: suspected that it would ever be as high.
1: Yeah. We're we're all on Monday, but uh, so I think that there was, was, that was not a data rich environment. So I think that logically they said, well, we're not really on the high attack, attack list. They find out, well, you are for extortion. So it's a learning event. So you can't, I don't want to point, it's a learning event. I think that the underlying uh, VoIP providers now say we need to, and and, you know, we need to figure out a better way to secure the system. Back to the customer side, and you bring up a great point. We're highly dependent, we have many lines going to, we dispatch workers off the phone, they check in off the phone. The fact that we were able to, that we have planned, discussed manual procedures, because it wasn't like I could fail the phones over to something else. The DIDs were dead. That's how the attack we had a week or so. I, go, I couldn't even go on and, and reroute them, say, reroute these calls. There was a standard procedure that said to all the 10,000 or whatever longshoremen we dispatch every day if this doesn't work, your options are
0: walkie talkie.
1: You'll come to the hall and check in on the kiosks and so on. And so, on. so there was a manual, non technical. Back up because butts needed to get to the port, and that's my suggestion to people. So you're going, you can get on the phone and yell at your void provider all day long. He's just sitting there going like, oh, some, you know, you're you're subject to how honest is your, you know, provider being with you? Are you up to date? You know, and I see those notices will be up in an hour, and so you fudge it, and then you're still wrong. I mean, it's a quandary, and so the real answer is how are you going to help your client? Function. That's how you soften the blow. There's no, I couldn't, you know, drive over the the dispatch center and just sprinkle fairy dust and say you're back online. Yeah, it, it is what it well, was.
0: And, and and part, you know, again, I, I with this call that i had last night with, uh, with a partner, I was just like, listen, like the concept of pots lines or you know analog lines, T1 lines is like it's all VoIP on the back end, right? So yeah. like even though it looks that way to you coming to your building. It's really VoIP on the back end. And by the way, a lot of these people are using other white labeled services from other people. Like, I just, I said, this one guy's like, my customer said, go to ATT, put my numbers on ATT, and call forward my numbers from ATT to the VoIP number. And that way, if the VoIP goes down, ATT should still be running. And I was like, yeah, that, that's not how it works. <laughs> like, like, you could try that, but like, you didn't realize that ATT is also on VoIP, right? And they're back, like, like, for example, did you know AT&T's Cloud PBX platform is just RingCentral rebranded?
1: Yeah, you know, I, you look at that and say, you know, by the way, when a customer says that, I appreciate that conversation. I go, hey, you know what? I'm glad you're thinking like we have to think. So you know what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you follow we've explored that option and here's why, you know. And so, and and, and the real discussion comes down is if you have a big enough checkbook I can make anything redundant sure i could i could basically say i'll i'll take whatever i have there 65 lines whatever and buy another 65 from another vendor split my switch have multiple six well you know i'm talking the. you know what i'm talking right and i could lessen the blow yeah now you start adding that up and they go well we were only down one time in 15 years it's not worth it you go well does it make more sense to have a manual not have to pay every month process and sometimes that makes sense and you go yes those days the stress is high everyone's insane you're sitting there with someone are you up yet are you up yet are you up yet and that's why these things have to be pre-planned not on the fly that everyone says we're failing over we all know how to do it get in your foxhole and do your job
0: Hundred percent. I mean, there's there's absolute value there, and I think everybody. I think IT services has marketized the words disaster recovery and business continuity, but there's a whole another side to that, which Keith is very well versed in. Clearly, uh, but at the end of the day, right? Like, <laughs> I think the the message to take away from all of this is that um, nobody, no, you know, like anything could be next, right? Like, it, it, you know, and, and unfortunately. You can't plan for everything because you just there's no crystal ball, but um, but you can plan for a lot, right? And so at the end of the day, I think that um, to Keith's point, when your customers coming to you having this type of conversation, it's a good thing, actually, right? Like because you're actually now you know kind of doing the blocking and tackling type conversations that we all you know have to do on a regular basis that the customer never even appreciates because yeah, you know, they're just trying to lessen their bill, right? <laughs> Until there's a problem, and then all of a sudden it comes right back up to the top of the conversation.
1: And, and by the way, that conversation promotes you from a vendor, an MSP, or whatever, or trusted advisor, whatever marketing term we're using this week, to truly. Everyone talks about this VCIO, and you're going get rid of the V. We're not virtual. We're sitting in and making those process decisions, and it promotes you to that level, and you say. You know, people say, well, my customer added this to the network and didn't tell me. And you see those things all the time. You go, if you're doing your job right, that wouldn't occur. Because you're part of the business process flow.
0: Yes, yeah. Sending my call to voicemail there for sure. Yeah. Sorry. So, there you go. so, no. So 100%, 100%, 100%. That's what I think you look
1: at, is you say. And, and that brings a value in there. And, and the reason people were stressed the day all the void went down, you know, was they, they had no op. It, it was like, what do I do? I, well, I call George and you're going like, no, that's not the plan because you can call George every 15 minutes and it's still not going to get his, George
0: is not in the data center. Right. Well, hold on. One, one last thing that's worth mentioning is mm. when the MSP zone phone lines were affected, you should have a communication strategy to get the information out when there are problems, right? Microsoft right. goes down or whatever, right? Like you need to be able to get that message across so that people know how to get a hold of you if the front door is not really there. Oh, right?
1: what a superb point. Be ahead of the curve gives people more confidence that you can solve the problem. Do not wait for your customer to call you see this you send out the general announcement on your on your system train notifier your email
0: sms on, whatever every, right like everything we every get
1: you you're we're on it we know we're working with you and we're going to update you and you use your whatever method you use to automate those messages and keep them up to date so they don't think they're in the black hole of support that never gets answered yeah. hundred percent
0: no i mean like every MSP should have some mechanism. I don't care if it's as simple as the same status page type deployment that all these software companies are using. You might want to put one up for your MSP, right? I mean, there's shared services across all your customers, you know, Microsoft for example, or whatever. Right. I mean, that could be, that could be your answer something similar. So um, Keith, you're always a a wealth of information, by the way, I'm going to, I can't help, but share the line. Uh, my, my employees drive Tesla's I, I, I drive something nicer. I thought that was a great line. I know that we're out of context there, yeah. but, um, uh, we'll, we'll have to joke about that more another day. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was really great meeting you in person. Yeah. I wish we we had a little bit more time, but, um, Hey, happy to have you kind of jump in and, and share your, your wealth of knowledge. And we will keep on doing this every Tuesdays and Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time this session every other session online at mspinitiative.com. And uh, we'll catch you guys next Tuesday. Keith, talk to you soon, buddy. All right, thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. See ya.